Welcome to the RazorWire podcast, where we discuss all things in the information security and cybersecurity world. From current events and trends, through to commentary from experts in the field, providing vital advisory on what it is to work in the information security and cybersecurity space. Hello and welcome to another edition of Razor Wire. My name is James Rees and we're here to discuss today the effects on cybersecurity from economic downturns. Now, as you may have noticed, things are not all particularly grand in the world today when it comes to economics. We have inflation going a bit crazy. We have smaller banks over in the US that are starting to feel the, the pinch. Um, and there's all kinds of stories of doom and gloom and people being laid off and all the rest of it. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. And back again, because he's a glutton for punishment, we have Oliver Rochford. Oliver, hello. How are you doing? Hi, James. I'm good. Thank you very much. How about yourself? Yeah, not too bad. Not too bad. I think, you know, it's it's an interesting subject that we're covering today and one that I think you've seen probably the effects of a little bit more on sort of like the VC front than I tend to see. Obviously, I've been running my business now for 16 years and I've seen the ups and downs. And we came out of the last credit crunch. That was when Razorthorn was originally made. So we kind of rode that upturn back into to, to where the economy kind of lifted back up. Arguably, you know, things were kicked, the can was kicked down the road. We can get into that. But, you know, that's how I kind of went with things. We've had little ups and downs, but this is the first time we're kind of sailing straight into what looks like to be quite a serious problem, depending upon which economic people you're, you're listening to. But what are you seeing at the moment from, from your, your side of the fence? You know, so obviously, if you look at the valuations that we had just a year ago for a lot of companies, they've completely disappeared. I think that, that's one interesting. I think everyone's pretty much aware of that right now. People are having to take what are called down rounds, where essentially you're having to raise money, but you're having to value your company lower, meaning that people well, will get a bigger share of the pie. Basically, we get a large amount of equity. That's the one side, right? That, that's the companies. In fact, there are lots of articles saying that over the next couple of years, a lot of what are called zombie companies, companies that can't raise new capital, companies that were dependent on cheap, basically debt, that won't be able to refinance, they will be quietly sold off by you know, whatever investors they have, owners they have. So that, that's one trend. On the, the venture capital side, there's articles. Just last week, I read one article where it said that some of the largest VCs in Silicon Valley are struggling to raise new funds. Um, why is that a problem? Because if you're if you're a VC investor, you don't really get you get paid fees for managing a fund, but really the big payout comes when you exit. And right now, exits are down. You don't want to exit when companies are basically evaluated badly because of you know market turbulence. And so the the best way they can make more money is by raising new funds but the investors the usual ones aren't giving it so they're actually going around the world saudi arabia emirates and so on basically looking to drum up investment there to keep the whole thing running you know this is just i think in reality like we've had a long period of really cheap money we've had really high exits and that money needs to seek a return if you've just made 100 million dollars you put it on the bank 
you're basically going to get eaten up by inflation. So you need to invest it into something, right? Likewise, if you have a lot of money, you also need to you know, get a return on it. And if you had low interest rates, you weren't putting it in your bank account. You were looking for investments. And once you switch that off, it's like, a, you know, we talk about a bubble. It is like a bubble, right? But the question right now is how long is this going to go on for? Right, that, that's that's a big question, and I think even more well-funded companies are going to struggle to raise capital in 24 months if it hasn't recovered, because most companies don't have a runway that's longer than 18 to 24 months. Mm, mm. I mean, it, you know, I mean, I've been through several times in my life. I mean, obviously, the, the the very early ones I don't remember. I was too young at the time, but I mean, I remember the dot com bus, good example of that, where people were providing stock like it was going out of style people were on paper they were multi-millionaires and millionaires and it was really easy to, to to create something that people would just throw money at you with you know vcs or whatever everything was dot com everything was internet everything was this that and the other and i do remember it was i was very early in my career when that bubble particularly popped and it was dramatic when it went boom one day everybody was happy. And the next day there was a hell of a lot of people who were out of work going into Chapter 11, going into administration if you're in the UK. And it just fell apart really, really quickly. And they were saying the same thing at the, t at the, at the time. There was a couple of commentators. Obviously the internet wasn't what it is now back then. But there were a few people saying, look, we don't know when this is going to pop, but at some point it's going to pop. And when it pops you're not even going to be aware of it. One minute it'll be all fine and the next minute it really won't be. But then we also had the 2007-2008 credit crunch and for anybody out there who wants to see kind of like the, some of the detail behind it, I mean, it's a film. I, I you know, I like it personally. It's a, a good dramatization of what went on. But The Big Short is is a really good film to find out about Michael Burry and how he looked at the data and kind of went, mm, there's, there's something not right here. There's, there's, this is going to go bad. Very, very good film. And, and I've read some of the stories once I'd watched it, read some of the stories out of uh, what I'd seen and, and realized that a lot of it was relatively accurate. Obviously, it was dramatized and stuff. But economics has a tendency to, to fluctuate. It's a bit like the sea. You know, the tide goes out. And then the tide comes in again, and you kind of ride those particular waves. And the, if you get it right, you can make a lot of money either way. But if you don't get it right, you can die very quickly. That's it, gone. One minute you're, you're, you're all good, and the next minute you're all, all gone. And I think we're, we're going through a particularly difficult time at the moment where when the pandemic hit and we went into lockdown, Everybody stopped spending. People were very fearful about spending any money because nobody knew when we'd need it again, you know, or how long we'd be locked down. And you still had staff to pay. And although a lot of countries did furloughs and like various other things to kind of keep, keep things the status quo, it got more and more difficult to do that as time went on. And then, of course, you know, the UK government saying, oh, sorry, you can't earn any profit this year. We'll give you a loan. And it's like, well, that's great. I don't want a loan. I actually want to earn profit because now I've got to pay this loan back. You're just pushing that that problem down the line. Yeah. And and I think what we're we're two years gone from it now. Yeah, about two years gone, and we're starting to see that hit. 
You know, so it, it's an odd thing because throughout the 2008 crisis, cybersecurity was overall actually pretty healthy. It was one of these sure bets. It, that's why it has that, that perception of uh, that cybersecurity is always a safe bet. That's changed this year. Not, not that we don't have growth, not that we're not growing, but um, so worldwide cloud spending has gone, like growth has, has reduced slightly this year for the first time ever. Um, Flexera do like the state of cloud report for the last 10 years. For the first time ever, managing cloud spend has become a bigger priority than cybersecurity. And there's this, this whole bunch of like articles, Wall Street Journal, TechCrunch, talking about technology, basically leaders looking to reduce cloud and SaaS licensing spend. So I think that's where you're seeing a direct, where you're going to see direct push. You're going to see people start to renegotiate these contracts. The other data point, um, this is from several places, Battery Ventures report, also Gartner CIO survey, vendor consolidation. For the last three years running, Gartner trends have been people trying to consolidate the amount of vendors that they have. If you look at data, people have. They've coming down to about 10 vendors from almost like like over 20 in some cases, according to some surveys, but they're reducing it. So that means they're trying to get better deals, right, by, by basically giving more of their budget to Microsoft and negotiating better discounts across different technologies and so on. And, of course, these are cost-saving attempts. And, and it's an interesting thing to watch because you think, how does this impact security? Is this going to – is that better? Right? Or, is, or is it just a pure cost, cost savings drive? And last downturn I can remember where I saw an actual activity while I was at Gartner was when the oil price went down. And what you saw in the Emirates and in Brazil, who were majorly dependent upon the oil price, was that they started seeking services, outsourcing, basically ways of still getting security, but in a more cost-effective manner. And that's something which I think, you know, if you look around, you're seeing a lot of vendors who have started re-messaging. Like the company I work for, <laughs> our big pitches, you plug us in and you shave X percent off your SaaS, SaaS thing, right? If you look at, I saw one today from Sentinel One where they're talking about basically cost effectiveness of security controls. All of the breach and attack simulation vendors are talking about getting better ROI from your existing security investments. So the industry is pivoting to it as well. And this is like, I think this is something which most right now, there's a little talk about threat hunting and more talk about effective, cost-effective threat hunting, I would say. Mm. And that's where the conversations have shifted a little bit, yeah. I think it's interesting because, I mean, one of the things that I've said, bef obviously before doing this particular podcast, was that there's a lot of vendors that have popped up over the last few years, you know, the whole kind of threat of ransomware has driven a lot of the market towards looking at, at procuring good technical solutions, good consulting. You know, in the UK, obviously, the, the IR35 changes to contracting has kind of pushed a lot more organizations to look to consulting firms like my own to kind of provide that, that support to them. So we've seen a, a pretty big boom the budgets for security haven't really changed a great deal. There's a lot more vendors out there. And I've been speaking to some vendors who are like, oh yeah, you know, our target, our target price for even a mid-sized company is a hundred K a year spend. And I'm looking at them going, budgets aren't that big. How, you know, you've, you've got a piece of GRC software, you know, or whatever. Why are you charging so much for it? If you charge a little less, you probably actually get some of those deals through rather than, chasing the big ones 
it's almost like we're being, you know, mid-sized companies are being priced out of the security market and in an economic downturn, is that going to kind of make some of these companies wake up a little bit and go, well, actually, maybe we are overcharging a tad. Let's, let's review our pricing. I mean, you know, it's one of the reasons why some academics believe cybersecurity has experienced a market failure because we're unable to service these kind of needs, right? But, but you're right. I mean, if, if you, if you look at realistic, how much, what's a realistic security budget, right? And the way this is calculated, it's normally a percentage of revenue or a percentage, which I prefer, of IT spend. And if you imagine you have 50 million in revenue, your, your IT budget might be five, six percent, if you're tech, very tech-oriented company, up to 20% of your revenue is going to go back in. Let's say you're your you're tech company, FinOps or something, 20%. From that, maybe another, somewhere between five to 15% of the security budget. And so at that point, you know, we're already only at 10 million. You take another 15% of that and you're basically at 1.5 million. That's for a fintech company. If you're talking about a manufacturing company, those values go way back. You're probably talking more around 500, 600,000. For that, they need to buy firewalls, VPNs, multi-factor authentication, endpoint protection, and antivirus, and we need to hire people. But your budget's probably already gone, especially if you have multiple locations. And the truth is that there are, you need to have a special design solution set for mid-sized enterprises. You need to have a set of services around it and you need to be aware that you're not going to get, you know, nation state grade security for those kind of budgets. But in terms of your right, vendors trying to take, like, grab that budget, these companies might require a lot of support. Mm. Just because they're small doesn't mean to say they don't have any, any, any requirements or needs at all. Doesn't mean to say that we don't actually need to get involved. And if you want to support many of these companies, you're going to make trade offs somewhere. I, I think the reluctance of mid-sized companies, the ones that want to do everything themselves, is a bigger issue because in reality, they can't. You're never going to be able to manage those 10 tools within one or two people that you need to. And what happens if, you know, so, so I think there are just limitations there. Automation can help you to a degree, but it doesn't replace a person. You know, you're not going to be replaced by AI. You're going to be replaced by a person using AI, but you still need that person using AI which even small businesses often can't afford. It's some, I've worked for one company, no word of a lie. It was a solicitor's office. The the administrative assistant who did the front desk managed their checkpoint firewall because she used to call in and we used to do the technical support for her and help her do the rules. That's a reality for small and medium-sized businesses, you know? This is where you're actually moving into to, to quite an interesting one because it's it's not just the vendors that are expensive. There's such a shortage of infosec people at the moment that that resource is horrendously expensive for, for even larger companies. I mean, I've been seeing some some you know really good offers going out you know over the various different job sites and job boards and the rest of it. And I mean, I was I, I posted up, uh, depending upon when this goes live, the other day a, a piece about great resignation that's occurring within within Infosec at the moment. I mean, it's it's April time, and people are getting better offers. They're getting outbid. People and, and people aren't staying in roles for that long. And I think there's a lot of people out there, a lot of Infosec people who still bear the brunt maybe of some of the finger pointing that goes on when things go wrong and they haven't had the budget to do it, as you, as you quite rightly say, 
if your budget is next to nothing, you're not going to be able to get your pen tests as often as you want them to. You're not going to be able to provide that assurance. So when the security event inevitably happens because your budgets aren't big enough and you can't afford the staff and you can't afford the tools, you're going to be finger-pointed as being the person who didn't deal with the security issue. And it's like, well, I'll just go somewhere where where somebody will pay a decent budget, they'll appreciate me a little bit more and, and allow me to get what I'm doing. So there's this epic movement of staff moving round and round various different companies during economic turmoil at a time where more and more vendors are experiencing pain because the banking institutions and the are starting to to bear the brunt of it, like Silicon Valley. Inflation is, as you pointed out earlier on, going a little bit crazy now, and it's feasibly going to get worse if they keep printing money or have to go back to printing and quantitative easing. Is this a perfect storm we're facing? You know, that's why I always look at this, of course, in terms of opportunities, right? We've had all of these different models which have which have evolved in, a, in an age initially when security didn't matter, it was just a cost center, and hey, compliance, right? We've moved past that now where most people have really been conditioned to not care too much about breaches if we don't have a direct damage themselves. The bank covers it and so on. I think that's changing now. And as a consequence, the type of solutions that people are seeking are changing too. The best example of this I can bring is, is this discipline that's emerging called FinOps, financial operations. How do I manage my cloud and infrastructure costs? That's a, that's a domain area that that's that's coming with tools, with methods and everything to manage that. So, and in terms of solutions, we need to have more cost-effective solutions. That means just throwing people at the problem is not going to help us. We need to be able to scale as businesses or we can't do it in a cost-effective manner. That means stop. we can't chase massive exits. That's part of the problem, right? If you are trying to basically get a massive IPO, you're probably not trying to build a great security product. I'm not saying we're mutually exclusive, but oftentimes priorities shift and there's a conflict of interest in many instances. So, that, But in terms of like us having a perfect storm, ah, I think it's always too early to say, you know. If you think we've had, the, we've had a huge crisis, COVID, mm. that is something that's being worked out. If you think of the inflation... COVID drove it up, but we were already printing money 10 years ago. Oh, We've yeah. been printing for 10 years. That money needs to work its way through the system. That means there's going to be debt destruction. Right? That's the way it normally happens. Inflation is the killer of debts because your wages rise, but the debt stays the same. Hmm. And so that's part of that working out of the system. In the meantime, it's volatile. It's painful for some people, but independent of those economic shifts, if you think of the technology shifts, the geopolitical shifts, this is probably going to be the second, third time in my lifetime that I'm going to have to reorient my career because of technology. Hmm. That's going to be a constant in people's lives. We do a bad job of managing it as a society. We're not investing in it. But it's something which I think is going to be um, independent or related to the economic stuff, right? But I still don't think this is going to, like, I'm not going to say this, knock over the world economy. We, we go from one crisis to another, and we tend to get through them until one day we don't, right? But I don't think this is the one where we don't, yeah. Which is hilarious because, you know, we do, as a species, we're terrible for this. We, 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 we're we our own worst enemies, you know. We 
build something fantastic, it gets really good, and then somebody we go too far and it all falls apart and we have to pick up the pieces and then the cycle happens all over again. You know, because I remember the first downturn I went through, you know, and it was it was scary stuff. It's like I just hit the job market and people were being laid off, the dot-com bust, and there was a, a, a glut of people in the market. But I genuinely don't think this is going to happen this time around. I think with the rate of attacks, I mean, when you look at kind of cybersecurity ventures and they're saying, you know, it's going to be this trillion for cybercrime this year and so on and so forth, the, and, the t- and the amounts are going up rapidly every every year. We just heard of a one of the big integrators, is probably the best way to describe it, who've just been hit badly by the looks of it, really badly. And if they're, you know, if if their share of share prices drop, then there's going to be all kinds of problems and all kinds of people being let out into the into the world. When it comes to cybersecurity, do you think because everything's so expensive at the moment to get the people to get the products to build the infrastructure, the governance, the time required? And the amount of speed of change in the marketplace at the moment with everything going on, that people are going to start sacrificing security again in favor of kind of speed of innovation. Because that's that's something that, that a lot of us InfoSec people complain about a lot. You know, by the time somebody asks us to go and secure it, they've built it, they've tested it, it's kind of in the last phase, and somebody somewhere obviously goes, or maybe it would be a good idea to get some security people to look at it. Yeah. And I think, you know, our vendors at the moment, although we've got lots of different solutions cropping up all over the place, I mean, Israel's pretty big. Obviously, the States was quite big. But then, obviously, what happened over there happened over there in Silicon Valley, and I think they're still feeling a bit of shock from that one. And the UK, we're still pretty big on on startups in this space. We're going to go through a consolidation period where these are going to get eaten up by larger companies. I'm starting to see a few vendors getting eaten up and t- formed into mega security companies anyway that provide this product and this product and this product. You're right. So, so, so there's a lot, of, a lot of startups are going to basically just not get further funded. If you think of the climate, so you say about unpicking, right? So if we look at what happened at the beginning of COVID, all of a sudden, usage, adoption, technology changed fundamentally. Overnight, it was, it was remote. It was uh, people doing digital services to the point where most of the tech industry wrongly believed that this has just accelerated an existing trend. Rather than having to wait 10 or 20 years, this is going to happen in two years. And once people have experienced this, they won't go back, um, which gives you an insight into the fact that no matter how much data, how much AI you have, it doesn't mean you make the right decisions. If the tech guys don't know the future, don't let them try to sell it to you, right? That, that's, that's, just my, my, that's just my caution. Don't here believe right the now. hype and the marketing. Exactly. They were unable to see this because they all over, over-invested for this new future that now has gone back to before. And that's the difference. But what you can see is that these macro trends can fundamentally shift the market direction. And we now, some people, so some usage patterns will remain the same. They have changed. And you will see basically people, people adopting to this. But there are also other trends. If you look at the cloud pushback in the moment, there's a huge pushback, clawing back essentially 
the wrong workloads from the cloud, repatriating them to data centers on premises in some cases, pushing them to the edge. And that's just generally because cloud has turned out to be a bummer for margins. There's this fantastic article by Andres Horowitz called The Trillion Dollar Problem. And it's about the fact that most cloud providers are paying you know, a lot of their money just to AWS, and it's hitting margins. So this push is independent of that. It would happen anyway. And of course, each time something like this happens, there are companies who specialized on that. And here my favorite example is anybody who is based on getting you to consume more is not going to bring out a product that helps you to consume less. Somebody else will bring out that product. And at that point, you already have a changing in terms of trends. And that product, that saves, you know what I mean? And so there, there are these trends which we're experiencing now. So I would say there's a change. There's a whole bunch of new startups coming up because of that. So while there are startups being eaten up and consolidating, there's also this creation because we've had a massive round of layoffs. Lots of people from really big companies with new ideas saw things going wrong if go and gone out to, to start new companies. And generally... Right now, it's a good time to start a new company because if I just need a million seed funding, that's a palatable amount. And it takes me several years to get going. I have the several years to do that now. Of course, if I need to grow massively in the moment, ah, it's going to be a different thing. This is where the big guys starve and the people who are lean and, and, and small actually manage to thrive, you know, like the, the tiny miniature mammoths on the islands. <laughs> no, you're absolutely right. I mean, you know, beginning of COVID, Smaller companies kind of, I was about to go through an expansion of my own company at the time, and I heard about this. I, I did. I actually did my own risk management, and this is why I look at what's going on in the world as part of my risk management when I think about my company. And I heard about this funny little virus coming out of China that was starting to kind of concern a few people, and I thought, oh, I'm, I'm going to wait on this one. I don't like the sound of this. My, my security heckles were up and my business heckles were up. So when it did hit, and, and as you quite rightly said, it was literally one day we were all in the office and we got Boris on his platform, stood there and said, right, that's it. You're all, you're all locked down. You know, and it was overnight. It was, it was, it's probably the weirdest day of my life that I'll be honest. And I've had a lot of weird days, but going from having freedom to do whatever I wanted as a general rule like the rest of the population, you could go out, you could eat, you could go and get shopping whenever you wanted, you could go down the pub, you could sit on a rock somewhere in the sun and sun yourself. To being no, now you're in your, now you're in your home for the next six months, eight months, twelve months, or however long it's going to take, is a bizarre experience. For me, that was a turning point where I looked at things because I've been keeping an eye on the economy anyway, and I hadn't been too impressed with the way it, it had been going because quantitative easing was still pretty pretty big. A lot of people blame things like pandemic on, on the quantitative easing and the, the problems economically we're having. But we were having them way beforehand, way beforehand. It didn't do anything to, yeah. to, to, to slow it down, I'll be honest. If anything, it really sped it up. But I didn't expand and went, no, screw that, I'm not going to do that, and stayed. But a lot of the big competitors that I had at the time just couldn't cope with it. It was like those had gone through big expansions, boom, just started falling over and started getting bored out, obviously, no doubt, very, very cheap. I, I, I must admit, I'm a little bit fearful for cybersecurity at the moment because our competitors, the malicious actors, aren't slowing down. If anything, they're speeding up and they're adapting really quickly. 
So every bit of bad news that comes out, they will use that in their fishing. They will use that in their marketing, so to speak. Oh, yeah, yeah. And if we do go through an economic downturn, the spend on security is going to drop, which means the ability to defend is going to drop, which means we're going to have to rely more on incident response, but with less ability to recover from it. And I just I can see there being quite a, a big problem, and especially now as cyber insurance looks like it, no one's going to buy it because we, if the new restrictions come in, it, it's it's not it's not restrictions. It's a tr- the truth is that the insurance providers don't have to give you insurance. They can only give you insurance if you can hedge the risk. Yeah. And trying to insure people against earthquakes in an earthquake zone when they haven't built earthquake safe houses, it's not how you make money. No. So it's not their responsibility to provide you insurance. The reason why they're doing this is because the way that Lloyds work is that they are, Lloyds have private people who actually put their assets as collateral, and a bunch of those people have lost that collateral. So they're not finding new people to guarantee it. And so the economics just, just don't work out. But, but you're right, but I, I, I don't think it's also negative. On the one hand, right, I think that we are far better now at detecting threats. We have stuff coming out like Microsoft Copilot, like GPT, all this kind of thing to to just help make that time that you have a little bit better. We're starting to see standardization. OTSF, Open Cybersecurity uh, Schema, Open Schema and so on, are all standards which are now going to help us minimize some of that work that we're spending on just getting data from one tool to another or building connectors and APIs. Um, the cloud providers are basically acting as like almost like gravity centers to force that standardization. The biggest problem we still have is cost. It's too expensive. But, you know, once we stop trying to build unicorns, <laughs> that, that, that would be a little bit different. I, I, think, I think the cost economics are going to work out because the new type of startup starting now cannot go for cost at all, uh, growth at all cost. Venture capitalist investors are starting to look for a path to profitability. And that means a more sustainable business model. So I, I'd say that like, there are pros and cons here. But we have to remember that we're not standing still either. There's also like, like stuff happening on our end. And we, if I look at AI as a very good example, there's some stuff which the attackers are going to get into their hands, but they can't develop this from scratch. They don't have the funding for this. So in that arms race... I think as long as we adopt early, we might always be one step ahead. There's only just one step. That's all you need. Only ever one step. That's that's all you need in an arms race. But but that's that's the difficulty of security, isn't it? It's it's getting. You can't ever really get more than one step because the people that we're up against are the uh, the same as us. They're just our counterparts. It's it's like the Sith and the the light side of the Force. No matter what happens, they're always going to be there. And they have exactly the same skill sets. And it's this constant to and fro. And, you know, it it is a perpetual battle that's never going to end. But when you start seeing malicious actors getting the payouts from their nefarious activities, they're pouring that into development because they can see a value. You know, if you get 67 million from an insurance company, good example, I'm not going to name the insurance company, they're not spending it on houses. (laughs) You know, they're not... Well, some of them feasibly are, but a lot of that gets ploughed back in. You know, there's, there's a, as a service functions, basically everything that we do in our commercial world is pretty much mimicked in some form or fashion on the other side of the fence. You know, you can get your DDoS as a service. You can get your ransomware as a service. You can get, you know, get a 
development team to develop your own code for facilitating against one particular vulnerability that you found within an organization or that you know that can provide you you can get access brokers who give you access to to companies from people who said well I'm being made redundant anyway the company didn't give me a payout or didn't increase my payout so I'll just give access you know give access quietly to somebody for a load of bitcoin I think we're going into a bit of a dangerous state to be honest but no I'm I'll I'll bow to you and your knowledge on this one and and I mean we're we're coming towards the end of our time together talking about this and I think we'll probably have to have this t- discussion again in another year or so and see where we stand but what are your final thoughts I mean if if to those secure cybersecurity professionals out there at the moment who are that we're just going in in the UK to or we've just gone into a new financial year we've just been given our budgets I dare say we might end up getting a bit of a budget cut for next year because things aren't looking too rosy at the moment. What would you recommend to them to do? Go out and spend it, consolidate, look at their defense in depth, prep for a future where cash will be tough to get hold of and rely more on staff or just go crazy with the vendors. What do you, what do you reckon? So, so spend smarter. Don't try to do everything in-house. Work out what you can safely send to a service provider. Be smarter with technology. Like data is a very good example, right? Most people are just collecting data and data. And in reality, the majority of security use cases do not need big data. They need narrow data. They need the right data, not more data. And so being smarter with that is a good example. Cloud is similar. Like use for cloud when it makes sense. Don't when it doesn't. Don't run a 24 by 7 server instance in the cloud. That's crazy. You can just do a colo for that. It's it's you know, it's for elastic workloads. And when it comes to security, cloud sim has its place as a centralized aggregation mechanism. But in reality, if you want to collect lots of data, all you're doing is bringing building yourself up for a, a really nasty vendor lock-in situation later on, right? And I think that that's across the board. Also, in terms of consolidation. Do it where you can. But my experience there is like, be careful. Make sure it's not just consolidation on paper. You're looking for synergies, product synergies. That, that's a big deal. If you can get something where that works well together from one vendor, minimizing complexity, it's always a good approach to have a better security and to reduce cost. You know, so, so, so if now you have, you have, for once, you might have more time than money. So use that time to evaluate how you're spending that money. Oh, that's... that's the, um... Really good answer. And I mean, you know, for me, it's, I do agree, you know, it's time for, for to consolidate and just, just spend smarter. But I do worry people are going to go back to certain OS vendors who like to say they do everything awesomely. And we all well know it doesn't work quite like that. So I hope that people will be, will be thinking carefully about what they go for. I, I agree, but but sometimes like so I don't think it's the best solution for for a lot of companies. But for some companies, it's the best they can get for the money that they have. Yeah. Uh, but but that then even more need to have an external party to assess you, so that you don't you need at least one external party to make sure that that basket you're laying all your eggs into is a safe basket and, and, and protecting the eggs as it should, right? So I think having that, 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 that mix and match strategy of always having somebody who is monitoring the other side is probably a good way to go. At the end of the day, if you have a limited budget, you have a limited budget. You have to work with what you've got, not what you'd like. Did I detect a little, a little plug there for Razorthorn? 
no, no. In, in, in general, I'm saying it, you know, it, it, it makes perfect, absolute sense. But, but same as with Razorphone, as you're now moving to the you know, pen testing as a service platform, embrace automation. Don't be afraid of it. None of this is going to take your job. Most of it is intended to make your job easier. If you get a 5% performance increase, your boss ain't going to replace you, but your job will get a lot easier. And I, I always say as a joke, learn to love the black box. <laughs> the black box if the black box helps you in your day-to-day -day job it's fine honestly you know you, you you trust black boxes all the time no absolutely and, and to be to, to be fair i i do see a lot more there's a lot more inference in the market now pushing towards kind of consistent assurance and consistent security pen tests as we've said before they're a snapshot in time what was true in january when you had your pen test is not going to be the same in July down the line or even August, you know, sort of August that comes after July, sort of May or whatever. It's, it's a very much a snapshot in time. And, you know, security intelligence is becoming a big thing now for some certain compliance stuff now as well. We'll have to do one on compliance because I can see lots of problems with economically when you're being forced to comply with a certain standard to a certain level but you can't afford to do it because the tooling is too expensive. So what do you do? Cost-effective InfoSec, maybe we should call it. But um, thank you ever so much, Oliver, for coming and spending more time with us. You spend a lot of time with us, and it's always a pleasure to sit down and listen to some of your insights into what's going on in the wider world and the InfoSec community. And, and, and thank you ever so much for being a part of this. Thank you for having me, James. Always love our banter. Oh, um, banter we shall in the future um, so thank you everybody out there for listening to the podcast you look after yourselves and we'll speak to you all again soon thank you goodbye thank you for listening to the Rosewire podcast if you like the podcast if you love the podcast please feel free to subscribe and if you have any questions please get in touch thank you very much and have a great day <laughs>